glad that you've uh, chosen to invest part of your weekend here together as we worship together, as we, as we sing, as we read from His Word together, and, and uh, we just are, are able to, to spend time in the presence of the Lord uh, together in community. Uh, today we continue in our series, Jesus Is, uh, a series in which we are looking at the life of Jesus and we're taking the pattern of His life as an example for us to follow so that not only can we learn more about His characteristics, but we can become more like Him. Uh, today we're looking at, uh, at something that, that I kind of venture into uh, with a little fear and, and trepidation called uh, Jesus Is Healer. Is what we're going to look at today. Uh, in the text we just read, that you read out loud together that was on the screen, there are two accounts of Jesus performing uh, a miracle of healing. The first was the man with leprosy, and the second was the servant, servant of the Roman centurion soldier. Matthew's account uh, of these healings come on the, account, uh, on the heels of the account of what we have titled the Sermon on the Mount. If you were to take your Bible and flip back just a few chapters to go back to, to chapter 5 and, and 6 and 7, if you have a red-letter Bible, it's all red, right? Because Jesus is speaking, and, and he's sharing a, a message with the people. He's, he's sharing about many things. We call them the Beatitudes. Uh, he, he talks about that. He addresses how we are the salt of the earth, how we are the light of the world. He gives instructions on how we are to live how we are to treat other people, how we are to love those who are different than we are, how we are to give to those who are in need, how we are to live our lives in such a way that we put our faith and our trust and our hope in God not only for eternity but for this life today as we live and walk and move with him. And Jesus kind of comes to the end of of that section, if you will, and and he he tells the audience that there's a wide gate that leads to destruction, there's a narrow gate that leads to life, there's trees that bear good fruit, there's trees that bear bad fruit, and and what we do with his teachings, according to what Jesus says, will determine whether or not we are building our house on the rock and we're able to stand, or we're able to build our house on the sand and we will fall. And we see in Matthew chapter 7, if you go back there, the last two verses, verses 28 and 29, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus was so different than what they had been used to, the things that they had heard, the things they had seen. And today, we look at Jesus and his teaching And we see Jesus as a healer. If we look at the totality of the physical healing miracles that are recorded for us in the scriptures that Jesus performed, there are some fascinating details that that I'd love for us to to really kind of grasp a hold of so that we could shine a light onto who Jesus is. Details like Jesus healing on the Sabbath. That's just something you didn't do, right? You didn't do anything on the Sabbath. It went against the man-made pharisaical laws that had been established. And in doing so, Jesus showed that he was more interested in the person than he was the legalistic law. How Jesus didn't perform a miracle the same way twice. And I think he did that to show us that there's not a formula or a prescriptive way that this works. We don't have to say it right or do it right for it to work that way because just not the way it works. How, how Jesus performed miracles that other people could not. Jesus connected some of his healing miracles with faith and prayer, while other healings he did not. How often he told people, hey, don't tell anybody, right? Don't tell anybody what I have done for you. Keep it quiet. And other times he said, now I want you to go and I want you to tell people what the Lord has done for you. Jesus didn't do it the same way all the time. And in all of these details, I think it reveals to us how incredible Jesus truly is. 
In reading through the Gospels, I've been struck time and time again how Jesus never turned anyone away. How through his actions, he demonstrated compassion and love and grace. He valued people. He invested in them. He focused in on them. How through each particular healing event, he demonstrated uh, an important aspect of his ministry. He either did that while he was performing the the miracle or the healing, or in the explanation following, he, he revealed himself. Jesus had the power to perform miracles, and he performed them. And as we might expect, what happens if someone's doing something like that? The crowds follow, right? A multitude of people came to him, and Jesus welcomes all the people, the blind, the crippled, the leprous, the unclean. Even the dead were brought to Jesus. In an article I read on the website All About God, one writer said that his take is that Jesus performed the miracles because Jesus had compassion equal to his power. Think about how different the world would would be if the people who have the power also had the same measure of compassion. With Jesus, we see this is a compassion demonstrated time and time again in multiple aspects of his life. I think it's interesting that, for me at least, when I think of a miracle and I think of a, of, of a healing miracle, what, what do we always think of, right? We think of physical healings, right? If you were to ask people today, do you need a miracle? They're like, yeah, or not me, but somebody I know. And what are they thinking of? Well, usually we're thinking of things like being healed of cancer or disease or some physical ailment, right? I know of some stories, uh, uh, some of the stories and testimonies that I've heard from people, including people in this church, people in this auditorium this morning, of how God has intervened in their life, how God has performed a miracle in them And their body has been healed physically. How the medical experts gave them the prognosis that they were close to death or they were close to loss of function or loss of limb and there was nothing more the doctors could do. And then in what could only be described as a miracle, God intervened and they were healed. There's amazing stories of God's faithfulness and his power and his compassion and his grace and his love and his mercy. And while those are great and amazing testimonies, I think if we were to slow down just a little bit and we were to really look at the Scriptures and and look at what Jesus did, we realize that while physical healing was certainly needed, there were many different areas of life that the people were in need of healing. And I think that's true in our life today. People are relationally or emotionally or spiritually wounded and and are in need of a healing. But here's the thing when it comes to those areas of our life. We're pretty good at hiding that aren't we? Especially when we come to church. You know, Ian, at the very beginning, asked how many of you have already yelled this morning, yelled at your kids. It's a common thing, right? If you have children, you're coming into church, now smile and be happy you're here, right? We're going to worship Jesus after all, right? And we, it, it's, it's not something that we wear on our sleeves, right? But the reality is there's loneliness and there's despair and there's disappointment. There's depression, there's aggression, there's brokenheartedness. And those are just a few of the areas in which we as people are in desperate need of healing. Take the account of the leper 
Uh, if you go back and, and look at the text, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. But in, in Matthew 8, verse 2, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Now, just kind of a, a time out in the story. At this time in history, uh, being called a, a leper or having leprosy was a generic term for this infectious skin disease. By Jewish law, uh, you would have to go to the priest to determine if the skin disease was leprosy or not, if it was infectious or not. And if it was, the person would be labeled as unclean, and they would be separated from those who are clean. And when the uh, infectious person ventured out of wherever it was that they were staying all by themselves, they had to cover the lower part of their face with a cloth or their hand, and they had to yell, Unclean! Unclean! Now think about that for just a moment. If that were you, how would that impact you? Not just physically, but emotionally, relationally. I think it would be pretty traumatic. As a result of his leprosy, this man was labeled as an outsider. He was separated from his family. He was isolated from his friends. He was removed from his community. Can you feel the emotion of what this man was experiencing? And here's what I know to be true. You may be sitting here today, and you don't have to imagine, because you are experiencing that right now in your own life. And here's the thing. When we look at this guy, I would suggest that obviously he desired to be healed of his leprosy. But what he needed and what he wanted probably more than anything else was to be, have, the, have the healing from isolation, healing from being separated, a healing from being alone. Uh, leprosy was a terrible thing, and not being able to live in relationship had to be worse. So he comes to Jesus. Now, we don't know what else he tried, right? We don't have his backstory, if you will. We don't know if he'd, who he'd talked to, if he'd made sacrifices, if he'd made promises or the deals he tried to make. But evidently, he has heard about Jesus. Maybe he heard about Jesus uh, because people from all over the region were going to Jesus. Maybe he heard the stories of those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and how they'd come to Jesus and Jesus had healed them. Or maybe someone had told him about how amazed they were at Jesus' words on the mountainside just moments earlier. Regardless of how he heard about Jesus, we see that he comes to Jesus, and in what I would consider a brave act of desperation, he approaches Jesus, and he kneels down before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And this is a fascinating statement to me. He doesn't tell Jesus what to do. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, heal me. He doesn't try to test Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, if you're really all of that, if you really have the power to do all those things that you say you can do, then you should heal me. He doesn't presume Jesus will do it. He doesn't demand that Jesus does it for him. Instead, in humility, he issues a statement. Now, I I think it's safe to say that he believed Jesus could heal him, that he wanted to be healed of his leprosy, and yet he said, if it be your will, if you are willing, Now, I don't know about you, but in my religious upbringing, in my spiritual transformation, I was always taught that either specifically or at least implied in your prayer, you should always pray, not my will, but yours be done, right? Anybody else been taught that as well? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Yeah, a lot of us, right? 
And if nothing else, when we pray that way, it makes us sound pretty spiritual, doesn't it? Right? I mean, it sounds like the right thing to say. Dear God, I pray that you would give me this job, if it be your will. Right? Dear God, I pray that you would provide for this situation in accordance to your will. Right? And we, we pray those things on all, all the things that we pray about. We're like, okay, God, if your will be done. Right? But here's the thing, and maybe this is just me, but there are times when outwardly I'm praying, hey, Lord, if it be your will, but internally, I really want what I really want, right? And, and God, if you would just listen to me, things might be just a little bit better, right? At least better for me. And yet, this man says, Lord, if you are willing. And look at Jesus' response in verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, you've got to stop the story right there, because there's a significant thing that's happening here that I don't want us to miss. There's a detail here that far too often I have read this account and I've rushed over this detail in the story. My guess is so have you. But it says Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now, this was not supposed to happen, right? The whole reason this man was separated from everyone else was why? He was unclean, right? He had leprosy. Uh, leprosy was a disease where a simple touch of the skin or even a touch of the clothing could cause the clean person to become infected. There was no known cure for leprosy at this time. It was a death sentence, a slow, painful, lonely death. And yet Jesus reached out and he touched this man. And what does the text say? It says, and immediately the man was cured of his leprosy. Now, Don't miss this, okay? Normally, when a clean person touches an unclean person, he would be contaminated and made unclean. But not Jesus. Instead of the clean becoming unclean, a simple touch made that which was defiled, that which was unclean, clean and pure and restored and whole. Jesus was willing and this man was cured. I think it speaks to our willingness to come to Christ, to be in His presence and allow Him to impact our lives. I've had multiple conversations with a variety of people who tell me that they would love to come to church and they would love to pray or or something like that. But first, they feel like they have to clean up their life. They have to make some changes. They have have to do things differently so the building doesn't collapse on them if they were to walk through the doors or lightning doesn't strike them as they're driving to the church. A whole list of things that people tell me that that's why they can't come to church. That's why they can't engage with Jesus because they see Jesus as angry and just ready to get them. But But that's not the way Jesus operates. That's something we have put on ourselves. This man comes to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. It wasn't based on a promise he'd made. It wasn't based on any obligation he had. It wasn't conditional on him saying the right words or giving the right amount or offering a sacrifice. The healing was based on who Jesus is, the character of Jesus, because Jesus is a healer. Remember what the man says. He says, if you are willing, and Jesus responds, I am willing, and the man is healed through an amazing act of love and grace and compassion because that is who Jesus is. Amen? And if that were not enough, we we have the story of the centurion, right? The centurion was a Roman soldier who commanded about 100 uh, people, thus the title, centurion, get, get it? 
That's how you can remember that? Anyway, we need to remember that the Jews, they didn't like the Romans. Okay, You have to remember what's happening here in context and culture. They didn't like the Romans because, after all, Rome had invaded their country. They'd conquered them, and they'd made Jews subject to Rome. Rome imposed these burdensome taxes on the Jews and constantly, constantly reminded the Jews that they were in charge. Jews were seen as, as second-class citizens, as people to be managed, and as a means to build the Roman Empire. So the fact that this Roman centurion soldier comes to Jesus, a Jewish man who looked like a Jew, not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, but a Jew, right? That's what Jesus looked like. He comes to him and he says, I need your help. And that says a lot about how this man viewed Jesus. But he doesn't ask for help for himself. Instead, he asks for his servant who is paralyzed and in pain. And Jesus' response is that he will go and heal him. And at that point in the story, it's pretty simple, right? It's straightforward. It's much like the previous story. But here's where this story takes an interesting twist and a turn. The centurion responds to Jesus' willingness to go to his home in a way that, that was not only surprising, but it also demonstrated an understanding of the Jewish customs regarding what a Jew was allowed and forbidden to do. The centurion knew that a Jew going into into the house of a Gentile was to be avoided. It was on the pharisaical list of what thou shalt not do, right? Because for a Jew to enter the house of a Roman who's a Gentile, the Jew would have been considered ceremonially unclean and would have to go through a, a stringent religious purification process so they could be made pure and clean again. But the centurion doesn't want Jesus to have to go through this. He wants to prevent that from happening. So look at what he says in verse 8. He says, "Uh, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but say a word, and my servant will be healed. Now, before we go on in the story, there's a detail here that that I want to point out to you. I I think it's interesting how the centurion addresses Jesus. If you look at verse 6 as well as verse 8, The centurion recognizes what the Jewish religious leaders of the day failed to recognize. How did he address Jesus? He called him Lord. He addressed him as Lord. He acknowledges him as Lord. And in doing so, he is demonstrating this humility and this faith. He acknowledges Jesus' superiority, his ability, and he focuses in on Jesus' authority to do what he says he's going to do. An authority that the centurion illustrates in verse 9 when he says, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, he goes, and that one come, he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does this. And look at how this impacts Jesus in verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Now, now I don't know about you, but how incredible would it be to be able to do something that Jesus is astonished by, right? Right? That would be so cool. Often in Scripture, we read about various accounts and various people who were being astonished at something Jesus had done or something Jesus had said. But here we see Jesus himself being astonished. And not astonished by words or actions, not by some religious leader or a prominent person, but, but from a Gentile. From the faith of a Gentile, a Roman soldier. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then if you jump down to verse 13, it says, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. And here is something that struck me as interesting in this text. I've always read this account from the understanding that it was because of the faith of the centurion 
the faith that was greater than anyone else in all of Israel, that's why the servant was healed. If you have your Bible open right now, I want to, you know, just a little test for you. You don't have to answer. But in my Bible that I have, the title of the paragraph leading up to this says, The Faith of the Centurion, right? So it's trying to tell you what's going to happen before it actually happens. But what we see is, it was not based on his faith. That's what we're led to believe, but that simply is not the case. How do I know? Because if you look back in the text at verse 7, Jesus had already said he was going to go heal the servant. The statement that astonished Jesus, the statement that demonstrated his faith, the centurion said that after Jesus had already said he would go and heal the servant. And I think that's an important distinction to make. The leper and the centurion, they both came to Jesus asking for help, and Jesus did not turn them away. In fact, I couldn't find a single instance in the Scripture where Jesus did turn anyone away. If you continue reading in Matthew, uh, you see the accounts of Jesus healing. Peter's mother-in-law, the several others, the demon-possessed man, the paralytic, the dead girl, the sick woman, the blind, the mute. And as people came to Jesus, Jesus responded to them. For some, he acknowledged their faith, their willingness to believe that he could heal and restore and give them life. But I think it's worth noting that it wasn't necessarily their faith that healed them. It was the object of their faith. It was Jesus. Time and time again, Jesus demonstrated his love and his compassion for people, not just by healing them physically, but by giving them life and a life to the full, a life that's not bound by this world, but free to experience the fullness that can only be found in Christ. A fullness that Jesus wants all people, including you and me here today, to experience. You see, I would suggest that one of the reasons we have these accounts of Jesus' healing in the Scriptures is is so that we can not look at the recipient and celebrate how amazing and how great a faith they had, but instead we can look at Jesus and we can celebrate how incredible He is. We celebrate that he is worthy of our faith. We celebrate that he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our surrender and our devotion. When you look at the person of Jesus, when you look at his characteristics, you cannot help but be astonished at the things he did, the things he taught and shared and gave, and the way he healed. And when you look at Jesus, you're just amazed. I know I am. I I know that I believe those things about Jesus. I believe in who he truly is. I, I really do. And yet, to be really transparent, there are times when I look at what is happening in this world and I look in the lives of people I know and even in my own life and I find myself thinking, I'm not so sure that Jesus is a healer. There are times I look at Jesus and the title I give him is Jesus is, and don't don't get mad at me just yet, but Jesus is disappointing. And the hard part is I know I'm not alone in this. I have the opportunity to talk to enough people to know that that Jesus has not come through the way we think he should, like we want him to. And as a result, we are heartbroken. We are hurt. We are disappointed. We are sad. And often we are left with more questions than answers. We feel like we have pain and not comfort and agony and not peace. There's, There's brokenness and not healing. And in those times of my life, I find that there are some things of which I need to be reminded, and I want to remind you of them as well. I'm reminded of not only what the leper said, but what Jesus himself said in the garden just hours before he was betrayed, and he cried out to God. And I know I talked about this earlier, but, but Jesus himself prayed out, Lord, let this, pass come, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. 
See, there's a reason we pray that. Jesus himself understands, and he understands what what we experience because he knows what it feels like when God doesn't, quote-unquote, come through for us. Here's what I need to remind myself of as well, and and here's the thing that that maybe you can relate to as well. In, In situations like this, when we're feeling that way, too often we make it entirely about us. We put the focus on us, how we have faith, how how we pray and we give and we attend church and we're nice to people and we go to small group and we serve and God still doesn't seem to show up for us the way we think he should. And I, I put the focus on me instead of on him. I focus on my will instead of his will. I desire to celebrate the answer instead of celebrating the person of Jesus. And in doing so, I fail to recognize how incredible Jesus is still today. How there are individuals and couples and families here today. And looking out, I I can see you here today that you can give testimony to the healing power of Jesus in your life. The relationships that were dead, yet through the power of Jesus, they have been restored. And uh, you see Jesus working in your life. You have have new hope and new joy. The healing power of Jesus. I've heard and I've seen testimonies of lives being saved, of diseases being healed, of chains of addictions being broken, people's lives being transformed. And even in the midst of all those things that I see and I'm able to witness and and all the testimonies, the faith that I have, the faith that, that I don't want to be shaken, I'm left with questions I can't answer. Especially when it comes to this topic of healing this these physical healings i often wonder why was my wife healed and joe's wife wasn't why was mark austin's arm healed and mark solomon's leg amputated why was my friend larry killed in the auto accident and his son walked away with only a scratch Do you have a question like that? I would guess we all do. And you see, even as I have seen the healing and and the protection and the provision, it's elusive because it's not prescriptive. And I want it to be prescriptive. If you know me, I I like things to be ordered. I like for things to fit neatly in my little box. I want to know that if I pray this prayer, if I do this, if I do that, if I follow these guidelines, if I, you know, cross all my T's and dot all my I's, that I can know the result. But it just doesn't work that way. And here's what I've determined for me. The reason it doesn't work that way is because if it did, my faith would be misdirected. My faith would be in what I see happen. It would be in the results. But because it doesn't work that way, I have to have faith and I have to have hope rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. In Him, not the result. Our faith is not in the results of what happens, but it's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the healer. The leper believed Jesus could, even if it didn't happen. Faith in Jesus, not in what would or would not happen. And I wonder if we have the same type of faith. A faith that is rooted in who Jesus is and not the results that we see. And obviously we're going to say, oh no, it's in Jesus. But is it? Is it truly rooted in his character and nothing else? 
standing before you here this morning, I really want to encourage you that if you struggle with your faith at times due to a lack of apparent results that you see, that you are not alone. There are a multitude of believers who have struggled with their faith when facing difficult times. People you know about and people that you may never hear their story. Even those people who were closest to Jesus, they struggled with the results. Consider the disciples for just a moment. If you can, lace up your sandals and put yourself in the sandals of a disciple and take yourself to the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, it seemed like a dark moment of defeat, a moment where all hope had been vanquished, a moment where it appeared, according to the results of what we could see, that Jesus had failed, that everything they'd lived for was over, that, that it was all meaningless, and that, that God had, was not coming through, that they'd put their hope and their faith and their trust in the wrong thing. And yet in that moment of apparent failure, Christ was undertaking the healing of the whole world. He gave his life to demonstrate his amazing love for us to, to show us that we could have true life. And it's a faith, not in what Jesus did, but a faith in who Jesus is. Here's the thing, I, I, I don't have this all figured out, and you may be sitting there going, yeah, that's pretty obvious this morning, right? But I do have faith. I have faith in the one who does have this figured out. My trust is in the one who is Lord, who is holy, who is reconciler, who is liberator, who is healer. My trust, my faith, my hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And that's what we are all invited to experience. It's why each week we take a, a bread which represents his body and juice which represents his blood. It's why each time we do that, we are proclaiming who he is. And we are invited to put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, not in the troubles that we face, not in the results that we want to see happen, but in him and in him alone. I want to invite the Lawrenceville small group to head to the back where they're going to uh, prepare the communion trays. And then they're going to distribute them to us. And as the trays come before you, uh, there'll be two trays. One containing the bread. The bread which represents Jesus' body. The other containing juice. The juice which represents his blood. And as believers, we invite you to participate in communion this morning. To celebrate who he is. To put your faith and your hope and your trust in him and in him alone. Not in the results, but in the person of Jesus. Let's pray together, and then we'll invite the ushers to pass the trays. Father God, thank you. Thank you that in the midst of life, you are there. And not only are you there, Father, but you're inviting us, and you're encouraging us, and you're welcoming us to experience your love. A love that, that we can experience because of who you are. A love that we celebrate in. A love we remember. Jesus, thank you for being a healer. Thank you that we are not alone. That you are with us. That you've brought us into this community of believers. That you have shown us your amazing love. May we embrace that today. Father, as we take of the bread and drink of the juice, help us to focus in on you and on you alone. We love you, Father. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.